Uh, I have a friend whose nephew was diagnosed with cancer this year. And the cancer was in his intestines, kind of up against his stomach. And in the course of the treatment, it shrunk enough that uh, he has a hole in his stomach now, and he was bleeding into his stomach. And he had to have a lot of blood transfusions to keep him alive. And so we were wondering, what, what could we do to help? And so uh, Jeremy, uh, one of my other friends, said, we, we, should do, we should do a blood drive, which is a great idea. Uh, if you like me stuck with needles. Uh, so, so what we're going to do is we talked to the blood bank, and they gave us a little sign-up sheet that we're sticking out there. And what they want is they want uh, 30 people to say that they are interested in doing it. You're not signing up for a time or anything like that at this point. It's just we're interested. We'd be willing to do this. So that's all this sign-up sheet is. We're not going to show up at your house with needles and stab them in your arms or your heart or your body and suck your blood out. Nothing like that. It's just are you, or would you be willing to do that? The day we're looking at doing the drive is going to be February 16th. And uh, the, the kid is actually goes to OA. Some of you might know who it is, but we haven't gotten permission from the family to give out his name yet, so we're kind of being vague in that. But we want to do something that would actually help the family. So if you'd be so willing to sign up at the Welcome Center if you're willing to give blood. Uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, I, I actually can't give blood because I was diagnosed with malaria after a Thailand mission trip we went on one year. And so I'm, I'm happy and sad because this is one thing I probably would give blood for, but I'm also happy because whatever. Anyway. It never, never gets out of your system, apparently. I always got the malaria. So that's what I call it, the malaria. So does that make sense? Sign up for and help us. We have, 30, we have to have 30 people for them to do whatever they're going to do. I don't know. The voodoo that they take our blood with. But anyway, sign up. Uh, welcome to Element. I don't mean voodoo. I'm really sorry. Uh, if you are new to Element, welcome. I don't talk about voodoo, typically. Uh, if there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you, if you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes and the communion tables around the room that look like this. And on the front side, you'll get a place to take some notes. Uh, you'll get uh, all the verses we're going to cover today. On the back side, you'll get some questions to reflect upon what we talk about Today. If you have a smartphone, you can actually download an app. It is called Uversion, and when you download it, it just says Bible on it. And inside of that, you click on More and then Events, and we will come up by GPS in your smartphone, and you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, and everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Uh, this is Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 to 23, and this is what it says She will bear a son. And shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who understand what it means that you are with us, that you have come to rescue, that you call us into your family, that you restore and redeem us, and that we would then live out lives that look like they reflect who you are and your goodness and your grace in the midst of this world. We thank you for your rescue and your hope and all the words of provision that you constantly speak over us. So teach us today to understand that even more with great joy about who you are. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we have been doing this short Christmas series. We're calling it the Songs of Christmas. It's going to dovetail right into Christmas Eve. On Christmas Eve, we're calling it the Sounds of Christmas, so it all comes together. Uh, these are the songs of the poems that were sung that led up to the first Christmas. Now, if you today go on blogs, you have a philosophy class in college or anything like that, you typically will run up against somebody who wants to rail against Christians and Christmas because Christmas wasn't originally a Christian holiday and we stole it from the pagans or something like that. Now, I 
want to address that in the course of this message today because I believe Christianity is an historical faith. It is based in real-world events that happen. As a matter of fact, when we even use the word faith, it doesn't mean blind belief. What it means is we trust what God has done in history to rescue and to save us. And so I want to look at some historical things of why we actually celebrate uh, Christmas on December 25th. And it's not going to be like a lot of people, I think, tell you. Uh, Jesus' birth really could have happened any time. We don't know the exact day. And if God thought it was important to tell us, he would have told us. What you do see is that in Luke 2, 8, the shepherds are out in that region watching their flocks by night. What that is, is birthing season. And birthing season could have been the fall, winter, or the spring. Now, we celebrate on December 25th for a couple reasons. The first one is that the church wanted a day to celebrate God's promises of coming into the world. So that's why we do it December 25th, but also they wanted to be culturally relevant. Christmas, the day is connected to this pagan festival known as Saturnalia. Now, Saturnalia uh, is this uh, worship of Saturn, because that's where the name kind of comes from. It was a, it was a pagan festival that kind of demeaned God's image in people. Up until the fourth century, the church again did not celebrate December 25th as a day of any significance whatsoever. It was after actually the Emperor Constantine, the fourth century came about that we started to do that. But at that time, Saturnalia was a le- week-long celebration uh, by the Romans honoring that god Saturn. It started on December 25th, or December 17th, and it went to December 24th, which we would call Christmas Eve. Now, the early church had a motive for celebrating Christmas when it did. Uh, this festival, the government got rid of a lot of moral restrictions on everybody, no matter what walk of life you came from, and it turned into like Mardi Gras on steroids times 10. It was just a crazy escapade of debauchery. And what that means is the poorest of the poor, usually marginalized women, they'd be groped and raped and molested, and it was not a good thing. So what the church wanted to do was come in and give a different celebration to focus on and say, hey, we're going to celebrate the birth of God's coming and God's redemption in the person of Jesus. Christmas also absorbed another Roman holiday known as Sol Invictus, uh, which means the invincible sun. It was the cult of the unconquered king. And it was actually celebrated on December 25th, that was, and it looked at the renewal of the sun king every year in the winter solstice. Now, Constantine, as I said, that first Christian emperor of Rome, he was raised in that cult. And when he decided to follow Jesus, he wanted to turn the nation away from that and towards Jesus. And that is why the first reliable historical evidence of Christmas being celebrated on December 25th dates from his reign. And what you have to understand, Christmas wasn't Christians trying to step on all these people. It was meant to be this positive alternative to something that was tearing down God's image in others. And it was a way to say, hey, let's celebrate something positive and not something negative. And that means today you can have conversations with people who are like, oh, you know, Christmas is connected to Saturnalia. And you'd be like, well, yeah, it is, but it's not the same thing. Because really, in the end, it's the people who celebrate a holiday who are going to really determine what it means to them. And what I mean by that, you know, Christmas, we have all these traditions. A lot of them don't come from the Bible. Anybody have a tree in your house? Not in the Bible. Not in the Bible. So three of you. Apparently the rest of you don't even have... What is wrong with you, Scrooge? Right? <laughs> uh, you have... Uh, the, used to have the church did ringing of the bells on Christmas Day. We don't have bells. But, you know, they're ringing of the bells on Christmas Day. Uh, that had its origin originally in pagan winter celebrations that you would ring bells to dispel evil spirits. But in later centuries, the church said, no, we're going to ring bells. And it's going to be on December 24th to say, hey, Christmas is... We're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And it's going to be amazing. We're going to make a joyful noise from Psalm 95, verse 1. It's to remind people that Jesus did come. 
and he did come to rescue us. So the practice is redeemed. Uh, giving gifts. Yes, it goes back to the wise man coming to Jesus in Matthew 2.11, but it also, throughout history, druids were people who would give gifts to their gods and their goats. Now, I don't give gifts to other people because Druids gave some gift to their goat one day. I give gifts because, one, it's awesome because I love doing it. But, but two, I give because God first gave a gift to me of my salvation in my life. And I love giving because he has first been so generous with me. And so gift giving then also becomes redeemed. And that's what I mean. Now, Christians of centuries past chose December 25th to celebrate that birth as Jesus as the true unconquered king who has come into the world. And Christmas and Saturnalia and Sol Invictus may be historic neighbors, but they only have indirect connections. They're not the same holiday. They never were. They were never meant to be. And again, as I said, if God thought it was important for us to know the exact day of Jesus' birth, he would have told us, but he doesn't. What he does tell us is that Jesus would come and he's wrapped in swaddling clothes. He is laid in a manger that the angels went and spoke to these shepherds about the glory of God and the coming of their king. All of that is to reveal who God is. And so all these things, what they do is speak to his nature and the character of God. And the point is that he was born, that he did come into the world, that he did live the life that all of us can never live, and he gives his righteousness to us as a gift, that he goes to the cross, he dies for our sins, he raises to new life, and he is alive today. That's what we celebrate, all of God's promises. And these were the things that the prophets spoke about in the scriptures for ages. In Zechariah 2.10, it says, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. The NIV says it like this, Shout and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for I am coming, and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Which goes to the song we're going to look at today. Open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. It's in the Old Testament, uh, to the right of Psalms, just in case you need some reference points in that. And so I want to steer you to what I'm going to call Isaiah's song today. And we're going to look at a couple of his songs, uh, these promises that predate many, if not all, the other festivals. And the verse I had you stand for at the very beginning, you know, was, was in Matthew. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That will actually come from Isaiah 7.14. But Isaiah is full of all these words to point to Jesus as the Messiah and what he would do to rescue us, the coming birth and the promises of God. One of the reasons I think that we are supposed to get so excited about who and what Jesus was and is, is all the promises of God for all the ages that he ever did are all finding their culmination in the person of of Jesus. In Isaiah 9-2, it says this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Now, that is specifically referring to the people of Galilee, but you have to understand, in this region, this area, Micah 5-2, Bethlehem is the smallest of all the towns, and from Bethlehem, God would raise one up who would rule Israel, who is from ancient of days, who is from the line of David, but it will also tell you that he will be poor. And humble. It will tell you that, that when the Messiah comes, he will eat curds and honey. Not that that's what his diet was, but curds and honey is the reverencing the diet of the poor. So he would come poor. And so what you see in the words of the prophets is Jesus' beauty, his sovereignty, his majesty, and yet the poverty and the humbleness side by side in that coming king. And if I gave you a blank piece of paper and I said, draw up the script for the coming Savior who's going to take care of the evil in the human heart and push back darkness and redefine for us what it means to be human and then decide whose child he gets to be, you would not have chosen Jesus' parents. 
You have not have chosen this half-out-of-work carpenter from this tiny little hick town that had burned down on hundreds of different occasions, only to be built back up and burnt down again. You wouldn't have picked as his mom, Mary, this girl who was 12 to 15 years old at best, who worked as a maid in a house, which is borderline slavery in the first century, because they weren't people of position. We would think, oh, he needs to be born in someone of position so he can go out and speak and people will listen. But that's not where Jesus was born. In Jesus' culture, this is an honor and shame culture. It was about people looking at you and where you are and your status and how you fit in everything. And if Mary and Joseph had any upward mobility whatsoever, there would have been room for them in the house or the inn where they were going. But instead, they had to go stay where the animals stay. Jesus will later actually tell this story. And he says, when you go to have dinner at like a banqueting place, he goes, sit at the lowest seat. Don't sit at the highest seat. Because if so, you're sitting at a low seat and someone says, hey, why don't you move up a little bit? That's, in that honor and shame culture, that's a big thing. Rather than sitting at the highest place and someone going, you know, someone else is supposed to sit there. Why don't you move on down? It's honor and shame culture. It's what, and this kind of what he's talking about. So his parents, if they had any upward mobility, any respectability, there would have been room for them, but there wasn't. And that is who Jesus is born to, to those people, the marginalized and the lost and the broken. I mean, you've got to understand who Jesus is when he comes, but it's all the promises that God made coming to fruition. Jesus comes in poverty. Why? Because God promised that's how he would come. But the prophets understand and say some of these words, and they sing and shout also who he was going to be, not just how he was going to come, but what he would do. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. Hopefully you're still there, by the way. Uh, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. You can sing Handel's Messiah. For unto us a child is born. To us a son, I'm not going to sing the whole thing because I don't know how it all goes. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. You are also told that this coming child would be called Emmanuel, God with us. Again, Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Isaiah writes these words, and I don't even know if he understands all that he is actually saying in it. Emmanuel, God with us. Tim Keller once wrote this. He said, I would propose to you that in that one word, Emmanuel, like God with us, you have the most offensive and the most comforting, the most repulsive and the most attractive message the world has ever heard. It's the most repulsive because it says Jesus Christ is God. It's the most attractive because it says Jesus Christ is God with us. See, the beauty of Isaiah's song and really all the prophet's songs about the birth of Jesus is it kind of steps into the Christmas debate of who stole what from whom. Right? If Jesus was first and all the prophets spoke about it, then every other religious tradition stole everything from God. So it goes the other way. Christmas comes in, and in Isaiah's words, it tells us Jesus is God, which to me, it makes Christmas one of the most interesting holidays because it is celebrated all over the world. Everybody loves Christmas, but yet people don't really understand what that even means. I think Christmas, when you really get down to the bottom of it, it's the doctrine that is the most probably offensive in our society today. And I don't say that because I like to argue or be contrary, though my wife says I do. Uh, I say it because Christmas is really showing the exclusivity of who Jesus was and is. That, take Easter, for example, right? People also love Easter, the fulfillment of God's promises. He raised Jesus from the dead. But it's not offensive like Christmas, right? Easter is awesome. He rose from the grave. He triumphed over death. He brings us back into a relationship with God. He rescues the lost and the broken. 
But right before Easter, you also have like Lent and Good Friday, and we call it Good Friday because it's good news for all of us. And there we say Jesus died for our many sins to restore his relationship with God. And it's not so offensive unless you understand Jesus had to die because we were so bad. But most people don't think of Easter and Good Friday that way, right? We should, but we don't. We love the idea of Easter, of sacrifice, and sacrifice is great. Die for your friends. It's very noble. Uh, Most movies even center around that idea of sacrifice. The last Star Wars movie, The Last Jedi, which was terrible. Luke Skywalker dies at the end, right? Sorry, spoiler. But, you know, oh, we love the idea of sacrifice. But what Christmas says in its most simplistic form to every single person is number one to the scientific skeptics. Jesus was not just a human teacher. He was divine. Well, we say to Eastern philosophers that Jesus was not just a manifestation of a divine principle. He was personal and true and real. And what we say to every other religious tradition is we do not believe Jesus was just another and a long line of teachers. We believe that Jesus is God once for all, stepped into human humanity to rescue and save us. And that sets Christianity on a collision course with every other philosophy and religion about the nature of God. Jews and Muslims say God would never demean himself to become a human being. Eastern religions like Hinduism and Buddhism say God's always becoming a human being. We're all, we're all God. You all have the God principle in you. You didn't know it, but you're God. Thanks for reminding me. Some type of God that forgets that he's God. But hey, thanks for reminding me, right? Christianity says, no, there is one God, and it's not you, and it is not me. And at Christmas, this transcendent creator took upon himself human nature for the purpose of saving his lost children. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the prince of peace. Now, a lot of commentators like to point out the difference between reincarnation and the doctrine of incarnation. Like, Eastern religions have this thing called reincarnation. You do it over and over and over again, and the Krishna consciousness, the God consciousness comes into every person over and over and over. The Bible teaches that we are destined to die once, and that Jesus came into the world. He was incarnated not one time. He's not incarnated a bunch of different Christ times, but one time in the person of Jesus specifically. And we believe that the Bible and Jesus proclaims that this transcendent creator God became once for all human. And it is offensive to our culture who likes to say always are the same, that we just use different words about how to get to God, like the whole coexist thing, right? Uh, coexist doesn't mean coexist. It means co-believe, believe what I believe, right? Isaiah's song shows what Jesus says. There is only one God, and he came to save us. Uh, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Keller coined this phrase. He called it one wayness, and I like that in regards to Christmas because a lot of people today, they find a lot of the tenets and the teachings of Christianity very appealing. Uh, They love grace and hope and redemption and restoration and giving and serving one another, but they hate the exclusivity and actually are offended by it. But we have to understand is the promise of Isaiah's song of God's with us is that it is not an intolerant attitude. It's actually an inclusive attitude. See, people want Christians to get rid of this exclusive attitude where, oh, we believe in Jesus himself and, and that's the only way. Well, we believe Jesus does bring peace. And if we awareness of Jesus, Christmas would cease to be what it is about. I heard one person liken it like this. He said, imagine a billionaire takes all their money and they wrap it up in a treasure chest and they go and they bury it somewhere in the Midwest, right? And then they die and, oh, the treasure's gone. Now, a lot of people would want to find the treasure because it's a billion dollars, right? You're like on Bill Gates level at that point, right? Just, just find it and you're good to go. But then all of a sudden, say, a group of people show up and they say, hey, we have a map written in the hand of the guy who buried the treasure, 
Now, you could do two things. You could say, hey, uh, I don't believe you have the map. But no one would say all treasure maps lead to the same place because I've been to Disneyland and I got the treasure map that says, oh, right in little parts of the Caribbean, there's the X. The million dollars is not the X at parts of the Caribbean. If it was, it wouldn't be there. People would have torn it down and started digging in a hole because that's not the Midwest either, right? So nobody would say all treasure maps lead to the exact same place. And this is what happens when Jesus talks about this. It's not the idea of tolerance. It's, is he the map or not? Is he the way or not? When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can't say, why don't you just loosen up on that and be more tolerant? Because it's not an issue of tolerance. It's an issue of, is he the map or not? Is he who he said he was? All those claims, what we have to deal with is, will we really trust him? or not, with our lives. He is the way, or he's not the way, the one-wayness. And this is why a lot of people want to get rid of what Christmas is actually about. Because Christmas is about those claims of Jesus being who he said he was. Uh, Let me give you another song from Isaiah, and I'll try and pull this together for you, because this is normally a Good Friday or Easter song. Uh, This is how it goes together. Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was cursed for our iniquities. I don't know how the tune of this one goes, by the way. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, that's the word for sin, of us all. So before you try and take my word and say, yeah, well, let's just get rid of that unique one-wayness of Jesus about Christmas, take a step back and look what the Bible actually says and what other people say. So take that whole idea uh, that if you say, I believe that all good people, decent, moral, loving, no matter what they believe, can find God. Sounds very inclusive, right? But it's not. It's actually very exclusive. When we say words like that, it sounds more inclusive than Jesus being the only way, but it actually relies on a premise of your own goodness, relies on you figuring things out in your life to be good enough to find God, to be loving enough, to be compassionate enough. It sounds great, except I know me, and I know some of you, and we are not that good. People who say things like, anybody, no matter what they believe, any good person can find God, or they're a good person. But what about those of us who are a mess? Because a lot of us are a mess. What about those of us who lack discipline in our lives? What if sometimes I am selfish, and what if I died in my selfishness? You know, what, what if some people actually love country music? You know, what do those people do? What about those of us who live lives who don't look all that good and you would make, never make it into the good place based on the point system? My wife's mother died last week, and she was not the nicest of people. But really, she was simple. She had about, I would say she had about like an eight-year-old mentality entire, her entire life, and she never really knew how to even be a mom to her kids. And yet, she went to church, and she, and she loved going to church, and she loved who Jesus was, but she was so messed up in her life. What about the people like that? What if you're a nervous wreck? I mean, do you see the exclusivity of those statements? And when you boil it down, every other religion in the world, other than Christianity, all says the exact same thing. And I think this is why I think every other religion is made up by mankind, because they all, in essence, in the end say, this is how you should live a good, decent, moral life, and anyone who lives a good, decent, moral life can find heaven or the divine. It is so exclusive, because it means your religion is only for the able that your religion is only for the disciplined, that your religion is only for the good. And if you're not good enough, we get to come back and do it again, 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 and do it again. It's, it's, It's crazy. What about failures like you and me? And this is why Christmas and the one-wayness and Christianity is radically inclusive. Because it is the one belief where God reveals himself to be wholly unlike us. He comes to rescue us. And no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter your record, you can reunite with God through Jesus and be welcomed and adopted into his family. 
This is why Isaiah can sing these songs that say, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice, with justice, with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Well, what's this kingdom? How do, we get into the, how do we get good enough for that kingdom? Well, we're not. And this is why Isaiah will later sing these words. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, Christmas says God has come to rescue us. You can't rescue yourself no matter how good you think you are. And God has been good for his promises to bring redemption. What you have to do is think about the outcasts and the broken like this. When Jesus comes, uh, he's John the baptizer sees him and goes, Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world and kind of says, follow him. And then Jesus goes out and he starts healing people and preaching about the kingdom of God. But he doesn't bring a military revolt against Rome that was occupying the country. And eventually John the baptizer is going, well, was he really the guy? So he takes and he sends his disciples to go ask him, are you really the one who was supposed to come? And when John's disciples go to Jesus, Jesus says, Matthew 11, go back and tell John this, that the blind see, the lame walk, the people with leprosy are cleansed, the poor have good news preached to them. Guys, the people with leprosy and the poor and the outcasts and the blind, those are the failures. Those are the marginalized people, the ones that every other so-called inclusive religion would say you're not good enough. You need to figure it out. Be reincarnated a million more times, and maybe you'll figure it out after that. My biological dad is one of these inclusive types of people. He believes in reincarnation and being a good person, but he hates Donald Trump. Like, last week was, like, his greatest holiday ever. Like, impeachment, he's like, woo! Okay, so really excited about that. But he does all those things like the T-rump and the frump and all those things that attack the person of Donald Trump as being a human being. I mean, not his policies, though he does attack those as well, but his person. He thinks Donald Trump is just doomed, that there's no hope for him whatsoever. But Jesus would say that Christmas is good news for even someone like the Donald that the Donald could trust Jesus and have all of his sins forgiven and go into a relationship with God. For those of you who love Trump, you look at the other side after time, you're like, oh, those people are terrible. Whoever the liberal whipping boy is this week, you know, like AOC or Nancy Pelosi, whatever it is, and you're like, oh, they're just lost. Do you understand the good news of Christmas, the Prince of Peace, the Mighty God is also good news for them as well? And that God is calling us all to be people who surrender ourselves to him because we are not saved by our politics We are saved by the grace and the goodness of Jesus, and that's who we trust with our lives. See, my dad cannot believe that any God would forgive someone at the end of their life on their deathbed. He thinks it's totally unfair. And you know what? It is unfair because God isn't fair. God is good. That's who God is. God is the one who rescues and redeems. If God was fair, he would have scrapped this ball called earth and slapped it in his cannon and shot it into the sun a long time ago. But he doesn't because he is good and he wants to rescue us all. In 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31, Paul says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. 
so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Not because of you, because of him who became wisdom to us from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, Christianity doesn't include just the strong. It includes the weak. And it doesn't include just the wise. It also includes the foolish. Everything about Christianity makes no sense without these Christmas songs of God's promise of what he would do when he rescues us. Tim Keller wrote this. He said, Jesus is God, and that is why his death is so valuable. Otherwise, his death is of limited significance. Jesus is God, and that's why his claims make sense. Jesus is God, and that's why it does make all other religions obsolete. And this is why when you say God with us, the premise of Christmas, it is repulsive and attractive at once. Because it is Jesus is the only way that brings us into relationship with the Father, but it's attractive because he is inviting everybody in. It's not just the able. It's not just the ones who think they have it all together. It's not just the Israelites. It is all of us. And that's the beauty of what God calls us to and to speak about. And this is why I think some of the best songs we sing at Christmas aren't even Christmas songs. They're songs about hope and grace and redemption because Jesus has invited us in. God has fulfilled all of his promises in Jesus. In Jesus, all of God's promises to us come to fulfillment. All of his promises are yes. This is what I am doing. Remember what I have done because when we are a people who understand what he has done, it turns us into people who live in humbleness. We live with people who live in grace, who when you have those crazy relatives that come over on Christmas, you can be like, I'm going to extend grace to you because God extended grace to me and I'm just as nutty as anybody else. And we understand that. We understand God's love first given to us that draws us in again. This is one of the reasons every week we try to take you guys to the place of communion. Where you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us and you dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me. Why? Because God made these promises. Because we are people who are broken. We are people who have been selfish. We are people who run our own way, focusing on ourselves. And yet God is the one who said, I am going to come and rescue. I am going to come and redeem. I am the one who restores. Why? Because God isn't fair. God is good. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that God is fair, right? You know what I mean? God is good. God doesn't give us what we deserve because he gives us his grace instead which is the beauty of the gospel, of what all the promises come to fruition in Jesus and what he did for us. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite the band to come up. And if you would like, there's going to, you take communion, there's going to be people to pray with you in the back of the room. And maybe you're in a place today where you come to Christmas and maybe you're overwhelmed with a lot of, a lot of different things. I want to invite you to pray with them that your whole focus would then start to be set upon who Jesus is again. Maybe you're someone who lives your life in such a way that you feel like you have to do all the right things or God doesn't love you or God's not going to restore you or God doesn't care about you. Because what we need to understand is that God does and that our salvation is not based upon our merits. It's based upon what he has done for us. And if you are someone who feels the weight and the burden of you trying to always get it right and always do it right or God can't love you or redeem or restore you, they would love to pray with you about that and talk to you about those things. Because what you have to understand at Christmas is the great beauty that God steps into our world, this trailer park called Earth, and he rescues and redeems and calls us his own. And it is just beautiful. 
And this is what we understand as Christmas. Now, there's offering boxes next to every single door, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship. We don't plastic the plate. It's always meant to be a response to what God has done, so we always give you the opportunity. Uh, you can grab some cookies that are out there. Uh, you don't have to eat them all. If you find one you don't like, toss it, grab another. There's plenty. We have plenty. Uh, and to understand as you do that, maybe grab some sermon notes. And if you're going to Star Wars today, you know, and I'm rambling up there doing a trivia giveaway thing, and you're like, this is boring. Maybe you'd start the person next to you and start talking about all these different things we talk about today. You know, where are the times and places where you feel like you have to do the right thing in order for God to love and rescue and, and want to bring you into his presence? You know, where are the places where maybe one or another we could step in each other's lives and say, relax a little bit, relax a little bit, because it is God who has come to do the rescuing of us. We don't rescue ourselves, we never could. How can we help one another? So take some questions and ask one another the questions on there, maybe today, or maybe sometime this week, or maybe on Christmas Day with your family sitting around dinner, unless it's really awkward, which it might be, whatever. <laughs> Again, I always say this, that God is good, and I think many times we forget how good he actually is. And so part of my job with you is to always come back and explain that, the goodness, the grace, the holiness, the provision of who God is in his rescue of us as a people. And we should be undone as we love and worship him with every part of our lives. Let's pray. Part of this morning, I ask that you would, as you constantly do, remind us of who you are in your grace and your goodness. Father, we are a people who are very prone to forget who you are. Not forget that there is a God or that your name is Jesus, but we forget the depth of the mercy that you have displayed to us. We forget many times the fullness of your grace. And so I ask that you remind us of that, especially in the midst of this Christmas season. That I remember what Christmas is actually about. That you have rescued. That you have come to save. That you have opened wide the arms of yourself and your family and drawn us in. And I ask that you would teach us to be really undone by that as you build us back up again to understand that great rescue we received. Father, have us understand your unfailing love towards us so that we would in turn offer that to one another. We'd understand your great blessings given to us so we would bless one another. Have us do all things in response to what you have first done So give us a great and deep understanding of our own rescue, of our salvation, and all the words of promise that you have spoken and brought to fruition, and that we would be the most welcoming people in the entire world because our God has first welcomed us. And we ask this in your son's good name. Amen.